0: I always think one of these times that that when Bob finishes that that big finish that he always does, he's going to jump up and do a split. But that would be his last act of worship. Yeah. Don't ain't, do it, it brother. It ain't going to happen, bro. Don't do it, brother. <laughs> and don't bring, start bringing the guitar over the amps either. So we love you, bro. But amen, amen. Wow, it's good to be in the house of God. It's good to be together in the Lord. How many people, uh, maybe you were challenged in the past week, but you were also blessed by fasting before the Lord. Were you blessed by fasting before God? Amen. Amen. I know I was as well. And man, if you weren't here on Friday night, you missed it. God was moving in a mighty way on Friday night. And we're just inviting God to do what he wants to do at New Life Church. Amen. We want to see more of God. We want to see his spirit move and in powerful ways in our midst. Today, I'm starting, well, let me do this before I get into today's message. Um, uh, Danielle uh, made an announcement that there will be an online, on our website, uh, devotional for this message today. We're going to try to do that more and more. I know I, I got a lot of feedback. Both people love the EHS stuff, having a daily devotional. We did one. For the fasting week, and we want to do that as much as we can. It's 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 a lot of extra work uh to put that together, but we want to make sure that people are fed well from the Word of God, amen. And I know there's a lot of other sources of great stuff, and you should avail yourselves of many resources, but it's something to be involved in a study together as the body of Christ, as this local church, and so we want to encourage you to do that also. I'm psyched about the bowling party. I signed up for this week. I got like 37 emails on it, so I finally said, "Yeah, let me let me sign up." They did a great job with that. Um, I just have to warn people in advance. Um, I bowl overhand, so be careful if you're on the next lane. That's actually not true. Amen, amen. And that's good news. But let's let's jump into today. Today we're starting our first sermon series of 2020, and I'm excited about this series on secret agents of change. Um, and we'll be looking at five unlikely heroes from the Bible that God uses in powerful ways to bring change for his kingdom's uh, sake. And here's the thing with this. If we're just studying biographies of of great people that's one thing but here's what i'm convinced of from reading this word this bible god wants to make every person that will give their heart and life to him a secret agent of kingdom change in this world somebody ought to say amen to that thank you dexter amen because god can use all of us in our sphere of influence and what we'll talk about this today But let's jump right into this message uh, today. Um, Grimy. Grimy. That's an adjective that is often used about Philadelphia. Philadelphia is a grimy place. Now, I learned this from Sister Pam. Let me give you the Webster's Dictionary of Grimy. It means full of or covered with grime. (laughs) Dirty. But but in urban lingo, grimy means more than that. Grimy means someone that is jacked up, messed up, just someone that's grimy, right? And grimy can also mean a situation that you're in that's really tough. It's a grimy situation. But it can also mean a place that's rough and has a hard edge. I don't think it's wrong that people use that about Philly sometimes. Philly can be a grimy place. I know that we fasted this past week, and a lot of people fasted from a whole lot of food. They fasted from uh, Internet stuff. They fasted uh, from television. That was hard. But there was something that wasn't on the list that I fasted from this past week, and that was I fasted from sports radio. Here Here you go. If we weren't fasting this past week, I would have fasted from sports radio anyway this past week. And most of y'all know why. Because the Eagles laid an egg last Sunday, and Philly is a grimy place, and I just didn't want to hear it. I don't have room for that in my life right now. But if you think you understand anything about grimy you don't unless you've read the book of Judges in your Bible. The book of Judges is grimy on an overdose of steroids. Amen. It is a grimy, messed up uh, story of the mess of God's people and how he comes in anyway. How many are you uh, of you are glad that we have an anyway God? Because some of us, look. We we all need to be washed up a little bit from our griminess. But we have an anyway God who comes in and who washes us up and who draws us to himself anyway. Amen. We've got an anyway God. Let me give you the basic storyline of the book of Judges. It's it's real simple. God's people fall into idolatry and wickedness. Another nation or king oppresses them for a long time time usually Israel finally cries out to God in repentance number four God raises up a judge a warrior and sets the people free number five Israel prospers for a time number six they fall right back into the same mess they were in in the first place into idolatry and wickedness number seven repeat it over over and over again rinse and repeat here we go again that's the book of Judges. For many of us, you say, okay, that's the book of Judges. I know that really, really well. It's not just the book of Judges. That sounds a lot like my life. But we want to be in a place where we're learning from what God does. So in, in this book, there's 12 judges that are named in the book of Judges. Uh, of all the judges, Deborah is the one who most consistently exemplifies godly character. As you get later in the book, it gets grimier and grimier. The judges get less and less godly, and yet God uses them anyway. Don't pattern your life after Samson, amen? Brothers, please don't pattern your life after Samson, but God can get glory out of grimy. Amen? Only God can do that. And my hope is that this will be an encouragement to all of us. Because grimy as we we may be, God wants to use you. God wants to use you. So if we can stand up together right now. We're going to read the word of God or have it read to us. Um, I'd like you all to stand for the reading of the word if you're able to. But I have three young ladies who are gonna read the word. We're talking about Deborah today, so I thought it'd be a good idea to have some young ladies. We have uh, Melody, and we have Candy, and we have Rosie. They'll be reading the word of the Lord in our hearing. Amen? Amen, ladies, you can get started. Let's read the word of God. This is the word of God. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now that Ehud was dead, so the Lord sold them into the hands of Jebin king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazard. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Haroshef Hagayam. Because he had 900 chariots filled with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River, and give him into your hands, Barak said to her. If you go with me, I will go, but if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah, but because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. Amen. This is the word of lord thank you ladies let me pray father god we thank you for your word we ask that you would bless it uh, to your people today and as we dive into your word lord god make your truth real to us in every crack and crevice that you need to fill lord god we ask for you to move among us in us and be with us in this moment in jesus name amen 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 praise god praise god um Verses 1 through 3 in this chapter uh, give us the, the background for what's going on. And as we talked about this basic outline for the book of Judges, God's people had had a judge. They had a time of prosperity. They fall away again. They fall into all kinds of sin. They're acting just like the nations that God was driving out before them. They're into all the idolatry, all the wickedness, all the mess that everybody else was in. But Thanks be to God that even though they're in that mess at a certain time, they finally cry out to God. And so that is the good news. They finally cry out for help. And then in verse 4, we get introduced to this woman named Deborah. She is an amazing woman. Verse 4 starts with these words. Now Deborah, the prophet, the wife of Lapidoth. The order of the hebrew words that are actually there it actually uses the word woman or wife twice in the verse in in most translations it's only there once but it's actually twice in the hebrew and it says deborah a woman prophet that's the next word after deborah is that she's a woman deborah a woman prophet it says because it wants to emphasize this reality that in this unexpected context of an ancient Near Eastern patriarchal society, God raises up this woman named Deborah. Deborah, somebody can say amen. Amen. Deborah is raised up a woman prophet, the Bible says, the wife of Lapidoth. That is the reading in the NIV. We'll look at that a little bit more in, in a minute. Deborah's name has a specific meaning. Her name means be. I know most of y'all read the Bible sometimes and you see these names with all this weight and these great names. Uh, Elijah means my God is Yahweh. Right? I want a name like that. My God is Yahweh. Isaiah means Yahweh saves. Deborah means be. She's like, why did you name me be? why is my name B? well there might be some reasons for that actually if you look more deeply at the biblical text it, if you look at the use of the word bee in the old testament it's used four times three of those times it's used metaphorically and and it's used to talk about bees in the sense of an army in hot pursuit of an enemy That's a good name for this this woman right here, for this woman prophet, Deborah. Not only that, but many Old Testament scholars also see another part of the meaning of her name. There's three main consonants in most Hebrew words. For her, in English, it's D-B-R. In Hebrew, it would be Dalit Beth, Resh. But there's three consonants, and those three consonants make up the word that is most often translated in the Old Testament, word or speak, and here we have this woman prophet Deborah, whose life is about hearing the word of God and speaking it into situations. And so Deborah is a is a name that carries a little bit of weight with it. The, the third thing I want you to see is this interesting uh, 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 situation here. It says in the NIV. Deborah is the wife of Lapidoth. Now, most versions, that's the way they're they're translated. But that word for wife could also mean woman in in a certain context. And so the expression could mean that Deborah is from a, a woman from or a woman of this town called Lapidoth. That's a possibility. But there's also a third option for that. The word lapidoth is a word uh, in in Hebrew that is the plural of torch. So it means torches. Uh, A Hebrew scholar, a friend of mine, uh, looks at it this way and says that he believes, this is talking about Deborah, a woman prophet, a woman on fire. And if you read this text, whether that's what the name means exactly or not, she is all of those things. This is a woman on fire, y'all. This is a woman on fire for God. And so this book of Judges lists these 12 different uh, judges. Deborah's the only female. She stands out in, in that way, but she stands out in other ways as well. In, in the Bible, only Deborah and Samuel are referred to as both prophets and judges. That's a big deal, a prophet and a judge. And also in the scripture, after Moses, there's only one other person who fills the role of prophet, the role of judge, and the role of military leader, and that is this woman on fire, Deborah. This woman is not a joke. If we were to put it in our colloquial language, we would just say it this way, Deborah is a beast. (laughs) She's a beast, y'all. So let's just go into this. What is the big deal about Deborah? What makes Deborah a secret agent of change? Next slide. What makes Deborah a secret agent of change? First of all, it's just this. She hears and speaks the word of God. She's an agent of change in this world because she has an ear to hear what the spirit is saying. And she has the courage. We'll talk about that more to say it out loud. She lives that thing out. Listen, during the time of the Old Testament here in the Judges, they didn't have a Bible to walk around with. They didn't have 74 different translations on their phone. They didn't have the access that we have to the word of God. The word of God was mostly heard through a spoken word through a prophet. And so there needed to be a prophet who accurately read heard, and accurately communicated God's word. If if you read through the scripture, there's lots and lots and lots of prophets, but most of them are false prophets. In any age that you look at it, remember Elijah on Mount Carmel. Elijah's on Mount Carmel is representing God, but you have 800 other prophets who don't know God, but they're still prophets. That's the way it can be sometimes even in our world today. We need someone who's going to hear and speak the truth of the word of God. We need that in our time as well. So we get a picture of this woman in Judges 4, which is in prose, and Judges 5 is a, is a poem, the song of Deborah. So we see it both in prose language and in uh we, we see it in poetry as well i want to just turn you to it for a second to verses five through eight in judges chapter five just want to kind of walk through those verses a little bit we can put them up on the board judges you need to go through that slide and get to the next one if you haven't if we can't then we're stuck we're okay let me read it for you i'll read it a little bit at a time verse six and and I'm reading this, here goes, uh, Judges 5, Judge, I'm sorry, Judges 4, 5 through 8. So she held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes settled by her. Deborah is what's known as a judge in the... In the NIV, it says leader, uh, but the word can be translated either way, uh, judge or leader. So she is a judge of God's people. Sometimes, though, we, we're thinking of a judge the wrong way. You can, you can move on to the, the slide you were on before. Move on to that other slide. We can think of Deborah as a judge, uh, and we think of a judge the wrong way. We think of Judge Judy. That is not who Deborah is. She's not Judge Mathis. When we think of Deborah as a judge, Deborah is the Supreme Court of Israel. There's not nine people on the court. They're not appointed by anyone but God. Deborah is the Supreme Court. At this time in Israel, she is where the buck stops they're coming to her she's in central israel and people east in the west when they have a dispute that can't be figured out there's no agreement on it they come to a judge the one that god appoints is the judge of israel next she speaks prophetically god's word and commands general brock in these verses she tells him what to do here she says The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, take up with you 10,000 men of Naphtali. And she tells him what to do. She prophetically commands this general. Now, the name Barak actually means a flash of lightning. So he comes when she calls him and she commands him what to do. And he hears that word and he is ready to do what she says. He responds without hesitation he responds with great respect for her. This woman hears from the Lord. She's not afraid of anyone. Listen, secret agents of change center their lives around hearing the Lord and speaking his word. You want to be a change agent in this world? For God, you got to get your nose in the book. Amen? You have got to put your face towards god you've got to do what we talked about last week and hopefully what we did second chronicles 7 14 seek his face how is your life being increasingly centered on the word of god we want to be secret agents of change secondly not only is she a woman of the word but she is a massively courageous woman She is a courageous woman. Verses 8 and 9 talk about how Barak says, if you go with me, I'll go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Don't know exactly why he says that, but people know that this woman hears from God. I don't know about you, but if I knew someone heard from God and could speak what God was saying, I'd want them with me too. And so, so he says, I need you to come with me but her answer is certainly in verse 9 i'll go with you in other words she says you got it doc i'm with you no problem i'm right there then she also tells them that uh, sisera's defeat the the general from canaan the the his defeat will end up going the glory for that will go to a woman it's not even deborah it's a woman named jael who's going to get the the glory for that but it's not it's not sisera uh it, or it's not Barak. he does not get the the glory for what uh she does for for, for the feet i want to turn you over to chapter five verses six through eight real quick and i'm going to read that uh in i want to look at it in the nlt translation because i think it's a little more clear first of all look at verse six there Verse 6, it says, In the days of Shagmar, son of Anath, and in the days of Jael, people avoided the main roads and travelers stayed away, stayed on winding pathways. What is going on here? This is talking about this period of oppression in the judges before Deborah comes on the scene. What is it saying? In 20 plus years, people would not go on main highways or thoroughfares. Now, we're in Philadelphia. Put up the next. Peace here. What does that mean for us? Imagine for twenty years you're living in Philly and you never go on Broad Street, you never go on Frankfurt Avenue or Roosevelt Boulevard, the Schuylkill Expressway, seventy six. Uh, 676 and 95, you're staying away from every major thoroughfare. And the way you get around Philly for 20 years is going on the back roads, the little places, the cracks and the crevices, because of fear of those who are ruling over you. This is what's going on in Israel. You're off a broad street, the Schuylkill in 95 for 20 years because of fear. Secondly, look in verse 7. It says, there were few people left. In the villages of Israel. In other words, were uh, not like walled cities. They weren't secured. But if you ruled over a country, you had villages. And in the villages was where, in the plains, where the prime was agricultural land and we're having an agrarian society here you you are able to eat not because of Shoprite, super fresh or aldis but you're able to eat because you're growing some good food and what happens in israel because of this army that uh the canaanites have is that they are intimidated out of their homes out of their villages out of the prime real estate, the prime agriculture, and they're hiding up in the hills. They're living in abject fear of this powerful Canaanite army, which the Bible says they had 900 iron chariots. I can imagine that fear. Imagine you've got an army, your enemy's got an army, Say you got the same number of people, but they have 900 tanks and you don't have any tanks. That's that's what's going on here. They have a weapon of mass intimidation. They have 900 iron chariots that they rule over Israel and the people cower in fear. Verse eight, the beginning of that verse tells us why this is going on. When Israel chose new gods, war erupted in the city gates. So this is happening to Israel as a judgment from God. It reflects the fact that their lives look more like the Canaanites than they look like the God who saved them out of Egypt. But lastly, look at this, the last part of verse 8. There's 40,000 warriors in Israel, but the scripture says not one of them, not one, among those 40,000 would take up a shield or a spear, not one. You've got people who are warriors. they have weapons, but they don't take up those weapons at all. They are in fear until Deborah comes on the scene. This bee, this pursuer, this woman of the word, this woman with massive courage, comes on the scene and god prophetically gives her this amazing plan to destroy the enemy and the general says look if you go with me i'm good if you don't go i'm not going but god gives her this amazing plan to uh to take over and to defeat the enemy you can go to the next slide on this because i want kind of want to show you what's going on here um You see at the bottom, the town there, Herosheth Agoyim, that's kind of where Sisera and his army are. You see Lake Galilee up there in the north. That is where the king of the Canaanites is. But somewhere in the middle at Mount Tabor, you can see a picture of it in the middle of that. God calls through Deborah, the army of Israel, to go to Mount Tabor. You can see it's like this big mound in the middle of, Of this valley land and somehow uh, what happens is Sisera and the king hear about the movements of the troops of Israel and they say aha we've got a problem we're gonna have to put these jokers down one more time and so the army of Israel goes up on this mountain on Mount Tabor now it would be hard for these iron chariots to get up the mountain but what happens is that Sisera's army gathers somewhere around the river Kishon that you see there. This is probably happening in the dry season. So we're in the dry season when uh, the, the riverbed just becomes a little stream, and it's dry, and the chariots are good there. But then God gives the command, come down off that mountain and attack this army with these chariots that you've been afraid of for all these twenty years, and they go down and they begin to attack, and Deborah is right there in the front along with Barak, and when they go down to attack, God and we can read it. If you look in, in Judges five, the story that He brings rain, and what happens is that the river, blo- uh, the riverbed overflows, and. And what happens is there's mud everywhere, and you've got these iron chariots stuck in the mud. You've got iron chariots stuck in the mud. Listen, God calls us not to do the heavy lifting. Deborah couldn't make it rain, but he calls us to do the heavy trusting. God, if you say go, if you say now, if you say here, I'm going to say yes, I trust you, God. And she trusts God, and Barack trusts God, and the army says, okay, if y'all trust in him, I can trust him too. And they go, and they rout the enemy. They destroy the enemy. Brothers and sisters, if we're going to be secret agents of change, we need to be men and women of courage. Real courage. No, we've got a number of courageous people in this congregation today, but I want to talk about one of them. Now, some of y'all have arrest records. I know it. I'm not going to talk about you right now. Not most of you anyway. I'm just going to talk about one person's arrest record today. Amen. And and this person hasn't been arrested three times. They haven't been arrested Five times. They haven't been arrested 20 times. They've been arrested over 60 times. That's like we got a criminal in our midst, y'all. Arrested over 60 times, not just in Philly, not in Bucks County, not just in, in Langhorne or in Doylestown. They've been arrested in six different states. FBI's most wanted. That person is our brother, Jim Trot, right over here. Jim, can you raise your hand? Okay. Authorities, authorities. Jim has been arrested for the work of the Lord on the front lines. And because of Jim's fidelity to God and his courage, There are men and women walking around, living, having life, having a chance to be all that God desires for them to be because he was able to stand on the front lines at abortion clinics and say, no, no, don't do it, don't do it. I plead to God. God has something better for you. God has something better for your baby. And Jim did this as a young man where he had a wife and he had kids and he's going to jail. Sometimes it was overnight, I think, but sometimes... At least at one time, I know it was for several months, he's in jail on the front lines for the work of the Lord. If you are going to be an agent of change for Christ in this world, you're going to have to take some risks and some chances. And you're going to have to be a person who says, you know what, I'm going to do it because it will honor my God. And when you do that, lives are changed as they were with our brother. Secret agents of change are marked by courage and God-inspired conviction. People of conviction. The last thing I want to look at here real quick is that she's a secret agent of change, Deborah is, because she loves people deeply. In chapter 5, again, we see in verse 7, it says, The villagers in Israel would not fight They held back until I, Deborah, arose. Until I arose, a mother in Israel. It uses this terminology, a mother in Israel. Deborah is a woman who's called a mother in Israel. She she may be a mother of children, I don't know for sure. But what this terminology is talking about is the love of a mother for the children and for a people. She exhibits that in her life. She deeply cares about the people of God. We see that in verse 9 in chapter 5 when it says, My heart is with Israel's princes, with the willing volunteers among the people. Praise the Lord. And at the very end of that chapter in verse 31, she says, So may your enemies perish, Lord, but may all who love you be like the sun when it rises in its strength. Deborah is a woman who deeply loves God and who loves God. The people of God. And through her courage, through her hearing and speaking with God, and because of her deep love for the people, the nation of Israel is reborn once again. And the end of chapter 5 says, then the land had peace for 40 years. This land that had been oppressed, this People that had been under the boot of this enemy. These people who had lost hope. They had lost courage. They had lost their land. They had lost their livelihood. They had lost just about everything. But when they believe God once again and fall behind this leader, God gives them back what they lacked. This is the work of our great God. Brothers and sisters, I want to close this out today. Because, you see, in the same way as we read through our scriptures, we can see that Joseph and Moses and David are what theologians call types of Christ. What that means is that their lives foreshadow the work of the great Redeemer, Jesus Christ. We can also say that Deborah is a type of Christ. Her life foreshadows the greatness of Jesus Christ things here deborah hears and speaks god's word jesus is the living word of god secondly deborah courageously offers to go to war to save god's people jesus is the divine warrior god who goes before us to save his people not just from 900 iron chariots but from every evil and wicked spirit from the devil himself and from the accumulated sin of all the world in the history of the earth jesus attacks it overcomes it and sets his people free and finally deborah typifies the tender love Of God for his people. She's called a mother in Israel. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Our great triune God. Are forever moved by their perfect and faithful love. To fully bring together the family of God. We're going through this series. My prayer is that everyone will really enjoy this series on secret agents of change but if you just enjoy these sermons (laughs) and you're not inspired to say what god do you want from me to be a secret agent of change in my life then you've missed the whole point every positive and powerful characteristic that you see in deborah can be yours by the grace of god your calling is not her calling. Our callings are different, right? Not everyone's called to be a judge over a people. Not everyone's called to be a warrior in terms of that type of war, but we are called to be on the front lines of change in the sphere of influence that God has given us, the people who are around us, the community that we live in, those whom our lives touch, God says you can be of change for the kingdom of god i want to just say one last thing before i get out of your way and that is I, I i want to say something to young people who are here today and i'm talking about young especially today this could have applied to anybody here but especially those if you're in middle school if you're in high school today and you're here i just want to say this to you i know there's a lot of pressure to conform with what's cool and a lot of times being a person that is zealous for god just ain't cool maybe with your middle school or your high school friends that's not cool to lift your hands and worship it's not cool to be in the bible all the time and when the bible teacher is teaching you're like in it and you're asking questions and you are pursuing someone to get discipled because you actually want to grow in Christ. That's countercultural for many, many young people. But I am praying to our God in heaven that we can start a fire here at New Life Church with a few young people who said, you know what? That's what I want to do. I want to be an agent of change. If we have a few young people in this place that get on fire for Jesus Christ, it doesn't take a hundred young people to start the fire. It takes one. If we have two or three who will say, you know what? I'm going to pursue God with my life. I am praying for you young people at New Life Church. And a lot of people are let me tell you this if you're worried about what's cool there is nothing cooler than walking in the power of god there is nothing cooler than knowing that whatever people say whatever is going on outside of me i have the peace of god which is above all understanding and i am happy in jesus christ now just a final word to everyone here and I'm going to pray here's my final word based on Deborah's life secret agent of change clothe yourselves in the word of God gird up yourself for battle and be a person a man or a woman of courage and then let God's love Flow through you by the power of His Holy Spirit. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you so much for this congregation, for this time, for this week of fasting we've been through. And God, we pray that you would just do a work in each one of us, that you would do a work among us, and that, Lord God, way more than just among us, it would reach out and that fire would start, not just for young people but for millennials and for boomers and Xers and all of the other Lord God, that, that a fire would start in the hearts of the people of God that would not be quenched by anything in this world, anything from the enemy. And that, Lord, instead of being quenched by our flesh, the work of the Spirit in us would win that battle against our flesh. Lord God, use us as your secret agents of change and be glorified in our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.